We're in Mark 14. Uh, I've never taught on Mark in for Good Friday. Usually I go to uh, Luke. Mark is supposed to be the action gospel, but I swear it's more action in Luke. But we're going to do Mark tonight. Uh, and like I said, chapter 14. Mark is the first gospel written. And so what they did, they, as the Holy Spirit we know were, was born on, on them, they would write it down. But Mark was the first gospel. That's why they grabbed some things from Mark all, in all three gospels. But we'll start off in verse 1 of chapter 14 here. It says, uh, after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. The Passover, remember, it was observed on the 14th day of Nisan. They had implemented, they had ordained the Passover when the children of Israel were in bondage. God using the hand of Moses, sent the 10 plagues, brought them out of that. And so God told them to always remember the Passover. And, and they've done that. Le- Leviticus 23.5 says, then the feast of unleavened bread was on the 15th day. So that's one day after. Many times in the gospels, you hear unleavened bread and sometimes that means the entire Passover. So if they're really interchangeable, you can use the feast or you could say the Passover. But, it, but to be real about it, the uh, Passover was first and then the next seven days was the unleavened bread. Verse 2 says, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. At this time, of course, Passover was one of the feasts that it was mandatory for the, the, the males to go. They say it was between three to four to six million people in Jerusalem when Passover would come. So it was a, it was a festive time, and that's going to prove important here. The common people heard him gladly. That's why the whole issue is, the, the, the religious leaders, they couldn't get to Jesus the way they wanted to. They, they, could, they wanted to kill him, but they had to wait until Passover because the common people loved him. And so that was their dilemma. When can we get Jesus? When can this happen? Verse 3 tells me, and being in Bethany, about 14 miles away from Jerusalem, at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat At the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. John's gospel places this incident about six months, six days earlier from Passover than when Mark does. Once again, Mark was the first gospel, so they either took notes from Mark, the Holy Spirit was on them, but what they're really getting at They're not too concerned with the chronological order here. What the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us, he's putting that dark deed of Judas and he's comparing it to this woman who brought this alabaster box. That's the whole setup here. The occasion was, as this woman came in, she was overwhelmed 
with her own sense of sinfulness and adoration to the Lord's forgiveness. Mary's, Mary seems to be focused on the love of God because Mary and this woman here who we're talking about tonight, they're two different episodes, two different people here. And so Mary did this, but now he's speaking of this sinful woman here. Verse four tells us, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. There will always be petty people who don't understand your love or your devotion for the Lord. And they will try you. Why are you serving so much? Why are you doing so much? When she's doing it because she loves the Savior. And so as long as you're serving out of love for the Savior, don't let anyone try to tell you you need to slow down or anything. God has got you. God knows. And God is going to take this woman and he's going to make a memorial over what she did. It pleased him so much. For it might have been sold, this is their excuse, for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. You're going to be criticized anyway when you're serving the Lord. So you might as well just get that out of your mind. Don't let it bother you. As long as you're serving the Lord with love and devotion, that's what pleases him. Verse 6 tells us, but she said, but, she, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And that's a fact. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have. We will always have opportunities. Every time you, on the expressway, you pull over on the, on the access road, there's people. You can do, give money anytime you want to to any poor. And Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. That's why I don't believe in all of the excess money the government gives for this and that, because you're always going to have the poor with you. Verse 8 tells us, she has done what she could. Have you? Have I? That's a great statement Jesus makes. You, we know he doesn't use hyperbole. He means exactly what he says. And it says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. All of the disciples were there. It was more people there, but this lady, this woman is the only one that knew what was going on. She had an intimate relationship with Jesus and she wanted to do something for him. She knew what was going on because she was intimate with him. She didn't have much, but what she had, she spent it on Jesus. Verse nine tells us, assuredly, Jesus, he says, and anytime you see assuredly, you might as well say verily, verily, or amen, amen, or you can take this to the bank. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to me. That's how much it pleased the king. Do what you can. Don't worry about what other people say. You're not going to stand in front of other people. You're going to stand in front of Jesus. Verse 10 tells us, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard, they were glad and promised to give him money 
So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Notice, I want you to see what the Holy Spirit did. He shows us this woman and her devotion. You spend everything she had for the alabaster box. Here is Judas Iscariot that's been with Jesus for three years. He went to Sunday school. He, he stayed for Sunday service. He went to Wednesday service. He went to Friday service. And yet, it hasn't take, t- taken yet. Why? Why would Judas be worried about what? It's really the money issue. J- Judas has a problem with money, and, it, and it, it's, it, it has its hook in him. And so God wants to show this woman who doesn't have much of anything, she gave what she could. When Judas was around Jesus all this time, and his heart has not been penetrated, Judas is sinning against light. The more you know the word, the more you read the word, the more you've walked with Jesus, you're really condemning yourself if you're not following in obedience because you're sinning against light. God can still forgive you, but that's what you're doing, and that's what Judas has did. It says, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So Satan knows the hook, the bribe that Judas needs. It says, he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Verse 12, now on the first day of unleavened bread, once again, the scripture bunches it all up together. Sometimes they say the feast of Passover. Sometimes they say unleavened bread because it's a a seven-day feast. When they killed the Passover lamb, so we know it's Passover, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? The Passover was eaten with unleavened bread. And they were seven days of unleavened bread to follow. Verse 13 tells us, And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And I used to say, it should be a lot of men carrying water. But back in those days, the women, it was the women's job to carry the water. So he gave them the idea, that's what you need. That's your signal. Verse 14 says, Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He shows a little of his providence here. He says, this this man will be coming out. This woman will be carrying a pitcher. You go to her and tell him he needs them. Verse 15, then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it as he had said to them. Whatever Jesus tells us, it's always right. He's never guessing at anything. This is the same thing that happened here. It's always just like he tells us. And they prepared the feast. In the evening, he came with the 12. And I'm thinking at this time, no, Jesus, you don't need 12. You only need 11. Why are you letting Judas go with you? And you already know what he's done. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, there's that word of surely, verily, verily, amen, amen. You can take this to the bank. That's what it means. Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. I know Jesus is feeling sorrow and sadness 
as Judas. He knows Judas is going to betray him. But even now, because at the Seder table, at the Passover dinner, Judas, he gave Judas the place of honor. Even now, he's wanting Judas to repent of his sins. That's amazing because if it was my friend and I knew he had treated me wrong and it told me, hey, I found out about it, he wouldn't be sitting next to me. He wouldn't even be at the party. And so, but that's Jesus. That's his heart. And it reminds me of 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. This is what it says. And we all need to hear this because we all need to walk with what this verse, these verses are saying. But believe me, you need the Holy Spirit in you to do this. He says, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you, to test you, as though some strange things happen to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake, there it is, in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, that's what we'll be talking about on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we shouldn't look at what's happening now. We should almost have blinders on it. Our thoughts should be on heaven and on heavenly things. So when things go upside down in this world, it shouldn't even affect us because we're not going to be here. This is not our home. And that's what this verse is saying, that when the glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And they begin, verse 19, and they begin to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And what they are saying is, it can't be me. I, 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 I wouldn't do this. And all of them are saying, it can't be me. But we need to take note from Judas Iscariot. If not for the grace of God, so go I. So go all of us. Depraved man is capable of doing anything. That's why we need to walk and be close to the Lord. That's why we have the Holy Spirit inside us so we can walk with him. He answered and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Wow. It's better not to be born than to have been born and wind up in hell. Wind up in hell because of some things in the world that you want. All of the lies and the things Satan promises and the world promises, they're all passing away. We need to keep our eyes on spiritual things. Verse 23 says, then he took the cup knowing what's happening, knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. And when he had given thanks, still he gives thanks. He gave it to them and they drink and they all drink from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant. It's not Buddha's blood. It's not the Jehovah Witnesses blood. It's not Mormonism blood. It's not the Muslim blood. Jesus did it for believers those who repent and give their lives to him. 
It says, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, and I always liked that because I grew up listening to hymns. They sung a hymn. That's rare for Jewish people, if you didn't know that. (laughs) And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Every time I read one of the gospels, I'm amazed at how many times Jesus tells his boys that, hey, I'm going to die, but I'm going to resurrect the next day. He tells them that over and over again. It's like, let me think of this movie. It's like Sixth Sense the first time you see it. I mean, Bruce Willis is all in front of you. You still don't know what's going on. But the second time you see it, you're saying, I should have known by that. I should have known by that. I should have known. Man, I'm a dummy. The disciples are a dummy because Jesus had told them over and over and over again. But I think when it's something you really don't want to hear and you don't even want to think about it, you don't let your heart get, get there with you. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. Jesus said to him, amen, amen. Assuredly, I say to you that day, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter is made out of the same stuff that Judas is. And he's about to find that out. But he spoke more vehemently. If if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, wine press, oil press. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took those three boys, Peter, James, and John. If I was one of the other disciples, I would have to ask him, why why don't you ever take me? Why are you always taking Peter, James, and John? I tell you all the time, You can be as close to the Lord as you want to be. And I feel like these three were closer to Jesus and Jesus. And when you see, when you're walking close to Jesus, he reveals more and more to you. And that's what's happening here. That's why he always pulled those three. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. I'm old enough to have seen the greatest story ever told when it first came out on TV. Mom and dad and his brothers and sisters were in the front watching it. And I always loved that movie. I didn't think there would ever be a greater movie with Christians in it, with, with Jesus Christ in it. But The Passion of the Christ, I guess I'll call them even, a great movie. And when you see all of these things happening, he takes Peter, James, and John. He's just wanting some comfort. He's wanting to be around friends. To, 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 maybe they'll say a word to get him relaxed or something because he knows what's going to happen. But if you have friends, don't be like these three. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, especially 
uh, Luke and John, he always talks about the hour. My hour is near. My hour is coming. My hour, what hour? The hour of his death, his crucifixion. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And he's right about this. Take this cup away from me, the cup of wrath, the cup of suffering that I could not drink and you could not drink. And no, nobody else could drink this but Jesus. Take this cup away from me. And then he says what I should say more often. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Now, I think I could have watched for an hour. Maybe I can. Then he tells them, because he knows what's going to happen, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He asked the father and he said, no. He wanted this cup to be removed from him. He prayed three times that it would be removed. But then he gets to the point and he says, nevertheless, and that's, that's got to be all of us, you guys. When we want something, when we think we need something, and the Lord is telling us to go try something else, do something else, and he finally tells you what to do, we've got to say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 43 tells us, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. I remember seeing Passion of the Christ first time I seen it. I went to the theater with Mama and I think Daddy, and we, we, we were watching it. And, I, and I've probably said this five times, but what got me more than anything about the Passion of the Christ, when they finally found him and, and grabbed him, in, the, in Gethsemane, they beat him from Gethsemane all the way into the cross. They never stopped beating him. And that's only a figment of their imagination or what the word says, and it was probably a lot worse. Boy, how he loves us. Verse 47, and one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know it's Malchus, Luke tells us. Then Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out as, as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Amen. And the scriptures will be fulfilled. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And the days are getting so dark or darker. 
I believe he's coming back soon. Not one prophecy, every prophecy will be fulfilled. And so when you're down and out and you're tired, all you have to just remember these prophecies. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for you because he loves you. Then they all forsook him and fled. Verse 51, now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth, linen cloth thrown around his naked body. I think that's John Mark. And the young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, all these are religious people and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance. And that's always hard to follow the Lord at a distance. Right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimonies agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's in Daniel. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? Have you heard the blasphemy? What do you think? And they all condemned him to be, to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophecy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, he's looking up at him. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it, hmm. saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. I would give Peter a hard time if I, have, if I had never did that before. I remember working and everybody knew I was a believer, and, and I would be welding, TIG welding, and I'd have scriptures all on my table, and I'd be listening to uh, John Corson or someone, and I'd be TIG welding. But one day this boy came up to me. He said something I really didn't like, and I must admit I got in the flesh. And when I got in the flesh, the first thing he said, I thought you were a Christian. I see all these scriptures you have. And that broke my heart. And I let Jesus down that day. I don't like letting him down. He's, he's did too much for me. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. 
Then he began to curse it. I'm, I'm, I'm acting too much like a Christian. I need to curse and swear, make an oath to let these guys know I'm not one of them. That's what he did. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus has said to him. Before the, cr- the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Let's go to Mark 15 real quick. Immediately, they had been beating him. I know you guys know this. Jesus goes to six different trials. They can't find anyone. They have to go to the high priest trials. Then they have to go to Pilate. And they're taking care of every one of them. So they're ta- he didn't get any sleep. So they're taking him from place to place. Immediately in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, the Sanhedrin. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Because Pilate must, he must give the word. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. I wonder, did he say that smart, not, not the Savior? Or did he say that cool? Because I think Jesus is a cool dude. He probably said that, it is as you say. You don't know me anyway. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. He marveled at a man that's been beaten like he's been beaten and under all, no sleep and under all that pressure. And he held his peace because he's thinking of you and he's thinking of me and he knows what he has to do. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude crying aloud began to ask him to do just as he always done for them. But Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. That always gets me. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas, a murderer, to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him, whom you call the king, king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, hmm, released Barabbas to them. Barabbas means son of of the Father. Jesus Christ is son of the Father. Which one will Pilate let go? Pilate, when we went, when we went over this, I think it was in John, Pilate wore a ring that the emperor of Rome had given him, saying that he was a friend of Caesar. I don't know if we're going to read this tonight, but Pilate, we know, did not want to Jesus to be crucified. And that's why they begin to scream out, I thought you were a friend of Caesar. 
and he looked at his ring and he thought about the world that he was in, forgetting about there's another world he's going to be in forever. And that's why he goes on and allowed Jesus to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium and they called together the whole garrison and they clothed him with purple, mocking him. And they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon the Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country. He was coming, uh, Simon was coming out of the country because he had probably just got there at the Passover feast. When we were in the book of Luke, I told you about Simon probably had never been to the Passover before, had spent all of his money to just to go to the Passover. And when he gets there, hey, carry his cross. And any time the Romans would put that spear on your shoulder or touch you with the spear, that meant you better do what they're telling you to do. And you know, in the, in the passion of the Christ, he doesn't want to because he didn't want to. Because that was going to defile him. And he's been on this, he's been on this ship, uh, and now he gets there and he's ready to go to the Passover, and now they're defiling him. He's not even going to get to see it happen, but he just didn't know. He had the best view there was. He knew he was looking at the Lamb of God. He didn't have to go to a Passover. He was seeing it real life. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, Calvary, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Just like the prophecies had said, Jesus is in full control. Everything is going as planned in your life. In my life, sometimes it seems like our world is upside down and it's not going as planned. But it is. Nothing goes by his hands. We just have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusations was written above the king. The king of the Jews, which he was. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed them, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. It's like humanity is over a flame of fires and they know they're there and they're cutting at the wires. That's what they're doing right here. This man, Jesus Christ, is trying to save them and they're trying to go to hell. 
Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross hmm, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, which is noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, three o'clock. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First time the Godhead had ever been split. The father turns his back on the son. That's what Jesus, that's what he was wrestling with in the garden. He knew he was going to get a beating and he could take that. He's a hero. But what he could not fathom is being separated from the Godhead. Here we are, we, we can be in constant fellowship with the Lord all the time, and yet we don't. Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Because I don't know if you've ever been to Seder's before, but that's the last cup, Elijah's cup. That's when they say the Lord is coming back. And they always, next year, for Elijah. That's why they said he's calling for Elijah, as if Elijah can save Jesus. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. It was time to go. Jesus had told his disciples, no man takes my life. I have the power to lay it down and raise it up again. That's what he did. He gave his life up. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he had cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly a testimony here. This man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Hosea and Salome. Remember Salome? She went to Jesus secretly and says, hey, I have a favor to ask you. Can my son, when you come into your kingdom, can one sit on the left and the other on your right? Well, you see who was on his left and his right, these two thieves. So once again, God knows our prayers. He knows which one to give us and which one's not to who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, when evening had come, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. That's what we should be doing. Coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoning the centurion. Remember, I, told, I told you guys one time, the longest death at crucifixion, I think it was two and a half days. Can you imagine being hung up like that for two and a half days? The shortest death was Jesus because he gave up his life. Besides Jesus, I think they said it was like a day. So usually you're going to be on that cross at least a day. 
But Jesus said, hey, not me. I'm, I'm about to go see you, Father. He asked him if he had been dead for some time, Pilate does. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the, the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in linen. Can you, can you imagine that, taking that body down, arms falling on you? He's holding him, probably naked, probably had to put something around him, take him down, and just wiping the mud and the scum and all that and the blood off of him, which had been honed out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jose, observed where he, he was laid. Never stop celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Never stop celebrating Good Friday. It's an oxymoron to some people, but we know why it's Good Friday. Keeps us out of hell. There was no other way. And we should live lives thanking Jesus. But the only way we can do that is by the Holy Spirit. We should celebrate the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ as if we were at an Alabama football game. That was for me. <laughs> that was for me. <laughs> That's how enthused we should be. We're not, this is not our home, you guys. I, I want you to understand that. Don't take this life so seriously. I think about Rick's wife, Joanne. We were talking about it the other day, and we said, don't you know she's just having a great time up in the kingdom? Having a great time. And she's saying, I know she's not saying, gosh, this is not worth it. She's saying, I could have handled that and much more if I knew what was waiting for me. And that's what we have to tell ourselves. That's why we should keep blinders on. Don't let this world bring you down. Jesus said he was going to give you enough to make it. And he's faithful to do that. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. You are a merciful God. I think about how many years it took me to finally cry out to you. You're amazing. Lord, and I pray for sons and daughters and sisters and brothers that may not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord. It was you that said it's your will that no one perish. So, Lord, would you move their hearts? No one will come to you unless you move them, unless you woo them, Lord. Would you do that? Would you show yourself strong and do that? And, Lord, for us who are believers, Give us grace to walk up right before you. Give us grace to honor you. And we'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our soon incoming King. Amen.